Uh, let, let's stay standing for, for a second. We're going to read First um, Peter as we continue in the series uh, Exiles. Uh, we're going to start uh, chapter 2. And we start at 13 and we go to verse 17. When you have it on your Bibles or your iPads or your tablets or your phones or some of you who have incredible scripture memory, you have it right there. Uh, Let's read it together. Um, It says in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Today is real simple. We're going to talk about submitting to authority. You can have your seat. So I walk into pastor's office as I do when I'm up here hanging out at the church with with Dex and pastor and uh, pretending like we're real deep and having a bunch of conversation and solving all the problems of the church and the world. I walk into the office and, and uh, I don't know, I'm fiddling with some of pastor's books or something like that. And, and he says, so how do you feel about your having your first opportunity to preach here at Bethel Gary? And, and I have to admit, I got real excited. I got, got real happy. It had been three years since I preached. So I was, I was excited. I was, I was happy. I was feeling good. I was like, let's go. And so he said, let me tell you what you're going to be preaching. So I'm thinking it's one of those feel good texts. I'm like, oh yeah, I get to I get to go in and talk about being a, a holy nation and a royal priesthood, you know, all that stuff that makes people really, really happy and excited. And he said, No, you're gonna be preaching uh first Peter thirteen through seventeen. Now I'll admit when I cracked open the Bible, when I looked at it, for some reason my eyes landed on uh honor the emperor. And in my mind, I didn't say this to him because I love him too much. I said, For real, dude? Are you serious right now? Dexter is your right-hand man. You could have picked him for this one. So my first opportunity to preach, I have to preach about submitting to authority. Now, hopefully, well, I'll tell on myself, because if, if, if you were to go talk to my wife, she'd tell you that this is really funny, because I'm one of those people that have a hard time submitting to authority. So apparently God didn't really want me to preach to y'all. He wanted to preach to me. So I already checked my self-esteem at the door. So if y'all don't say a whole lot of amens, I'm okay. I'm going to leave out and I'm still going to be good with the Lord. (laughs) So let's get into this thing. Submitting to authority. Feel free to go to sleep right now. When we come to our text, you know what, let's start out like this. I'm going to need everybody right where you are to just give me one of these. Just right where you're sitting. I want to hear it. Let's see. Left, 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 right, left. Now, keep going. What we're going to do is sing a cadence. All right? 
So what you have to do is I'm going to sing something, and then you have to sing it right after me, just like you're marching in the military. Here we go. They say that in the service, the pay is mighty fine. They give you a hundred dollars and take back ninety nine. Oh Lord, I wanna go, but they won't let me go. Home, church, halt. <laughs> hey, y'all did it too. <laughs> Good job. Good job. I was trying to wrap my mind around this whole idea of being an exile. Because honestly, y'all, we kind of got it good in, in, in America, right? We, we run into some problems, but, but we kind of got it good, right? So I wanted to wrap my mind around what would it be like, what would it feel like to actually be in exile? And how do I, how do I throw that up against this idea that there are these spiritual exiles out there? And so what came to mind immediately was my time in the United States Air Force. Yes, I was in the military, believe it or not. And I was in the United States Air Force. And when you go to basic training, one of the things that you do is when you need to get from place to place, they line you up and they march you to the chow hall. They line you up and march you to class. They line you up and they march you to if you got to go get a shot, which, man, those military shots are not nice, right? They march you from place to place. And often as we would march, we would sing a cadence. Now, that one happened to be my favorite one. Because it really spoke to how I really felt. Here I was, over a thousand miles away from home. I grew up in Chicago, in San Antonio, Texas. In San Antonio, Texas, where it was hot, people. All right, anybody been to Texas? All right, I mean, it is hot. It is burning up in, in, in Texas. Here I am, and, and I'm in this strange world because it's not like what I'm used to. I'm from the Inglewood in Chicago. I'm from the streets. I'm from the hood, and so I'm used to hood-type stuff, right? And so here I am, and, and, and in the hood, you know, you kind of make up the rules as you go sometimes. And, and there, now there are rules, don't get me wrong, in the hood, right? There are rules. There are some things you got to abide by, and you better know them if you're going to survive, all right? But here I am in this different context, I'm not not at home anymore. I'm, I'm in a sense displaced. I'm removed from where I lived, where I was from, and I'm in this different context, this military world. And I found out real quickly, I don't really like it. I don't like it at all. Okay. I felt like a stranger. I felt like I was on foreign soil. I felt like I was in a foreign land because the things that were taking place with me there were not like the things at home. And just to be honest, like Pastor Steve said in the sermon uh, uh, in this First Peter series, I really just wanted to go back home. So the reason that that cadence uh, related to me was because I wanted to go home, but they wouldn't let me go home. And so when we turn our attention to the text, you have people who have been displaced. Pastor Steve says they are uh, uh, geopolitical exiles. They are geographically displaced and they're politically displaced. And they're in this foreign place. And then you know what? They really just want to go home. 
You ever felt out of place? You ever felt like you were somewhere you didn't belong? Some of us feel that way even in our own families. Why? Because you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You embraced the gospel. You thought that this love of God thing was all right. You said, I want to get down with this God. And so you got down with this God. And Frank, the taste was so sweet to you that you couldn't keep it to yourself. So when you went to the family reunion, you showed up talking about Jesus. When you went to hang out with your friends, you showed up talking about Jesus. When you went to work the next week, it was so that they had you so good that you went to work talking about Jesus. And all of a sudden, all them folks that hung out with you, all of a sudden, the people around the dinner table, all of a sudden, the co-workers that used to meet you at the, at the water machine, they didn't want to have nothing to do with you at all. At all. And so all of a sudden, this place where you used to feel comfortable now feels like a strange land. In essence, you are exiled in your family. You are exiled on your job. And you are exiled in your friend life, in your social life. Check it out. Some of y'all got unfriended on Facebook and blocked because you a Christian now. Some of y'all got unfollowed on Twitter because now you tweeting about Jesus. Some of y'all got took off the Pinterest group board because all your pictures are about Jesus. You're in exile. You don't belong anymore. You stick out like a sore thumb. And so guess what? They ain't feeling you no more. So everybody in this room, by your amens and your claps, which were not for me, I can tell that you understand, you know what it feels like to be a spiritual exile. And so Peter brings us to chapter 2, and, and he, he walks us through some things, the feel-good stuff. He tells us in verse 1 that we ought to be concerned about our attire. Uh, Dexter preached this uh, way better than I ever could. When he said, it's some outfits you got that you need to take out your closet. There's some clothes you need to burn. No, don't give it away to Goodwill for somebody else to pick up. You get that stuff out of here. He talks about our attire. Then, then he talks about our appetites, right, in verse 2 and 3. He, he talks in verses 4 through 8 about Christ being the chosen and precious stone. In verses 4 through 8, he also talks about Christ as the chief cornerstone. In verse 9, he talks about this new kingdom community that we believe in. And in verse 10, he tells us that we are the redeemed recipients of God's mercy. That's some good stuff right there, boy. But then Peter makes a transition. He goes from a doctrinal dialogue to talking about practical principles. He goes from theology to what the old preacher would call duology. Some of us real big on theology. We fall way short on the duology because we don't do nothing. I'm just talking about me. I'm just talking about me. In verse 11 and 12, he tells us, and I just summed it up like this, to be good Christians. You ever, ever looked at somebody and said, you know, I'm just trying to be a good Christian. We got a whole lot of lofty stuff we say. Well, you know, I am uh, trying to be theologically sound, and um, I, I really want to be able to expound on any pericope in an exegetical uh, way uh, such that I am hermeneutically and, and homiletically sound, if, if you get what I'm saying, you know. Um, 
Hallelujah. You ever walked up to somebody and you, they just, they don't know how to just say hi. <laughs> how you doing? I'm blessed of the Lord and highly favored. Too blessed to be stressed. I just want to know how you was doing, man. That's all. That's, that's really all I wanted to know. Uh, you gave me a lot of extra stuff. <laughs> fine is the word. It's a one word answer. Just say fine. But he tells us to be good Christians. In verse 11, he says, abstain from the passion of the flesh. In verse 12, he says, act honorably so that in the midst of people who speak against you, God will be glorified. He says, be good Christians. And for the most part, we're okay with that. In fact, we're okay with verses 1 through 12. Verses 1 through 10 really feel good, right? Who doesn't want to hear about uh, you're a a chosen generation, a, a royal priesthood? Man, I mean, that makes you feel good, right? Amen? But then Peter starts talking about some other stuff that I wish he just had skipped over. Now, I'm just talking about me right now. He says, not only should you be good Christians, you should be good Christian citizens. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Listen to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This is a tough text. It really is. It's a tough text because we are in an era of defiance and disrespect. We see it at the government level when the president, whether you like him or not, whether you agree with him or not, whether you voted for him or not, we're not even talking about that. But in the midst of a presidential presentation, he's heckled and interrupted disrespect we see it in our schools how many teachers i got in the room say amen amen you see it in the schools when when a teacher has a problem with a child because of their behavior and the teacher calls the parent up to the school the parent comes up to the school and rather than having a nice adult dialogue with the teacher they cuss out the teacher the principal and security when it shows up disrespect we see it on the job Uh uh-oh We see it on the job when you are given a 15-minute break, but you take a 25-minute break. We see it on the job when you have a one-hour lunch, but you come back an hour and 15 minutes later. We see it on the job when when you should be working, and yet you're on your phone texting and and, and on social media. Oh, I'm sorry. That's me. That's me right there. We even see it when you're driving your car, and you're doing... 85 in a 55 mile an hour speed speed limit. Yeah, y'all got real, real quiet on me just there. I knew this thing was going to go downhill at some point. I, I, I knew it. I knew it. We have an issue in our culture. We have an issue today with authority. We had a conversation the other day talking about how young people don't respect authority. But guess where they're learning how to disrespect authority? Unfortunately, it's us. They're looking at adults who, A, don't demand respect themselves, but B, don't respect authority at all. And so they're taking their cues from adults. They're taking their cues from grown folks. And as a result of what they have learned from us, they don't respect authority either. We live in an age where, in a very real sense, we could care less about authority. 
Kind of like the lady in charge of chicken. <laughs> Y'all like, what are you talking about? Christian Herder was at one point the governor of Massachusetts. And one day he was out on the campaign trail uh, trying to muster up some votes for his reelection. He was real tired. He had been out all day and he hadn't eaten anything and he was real tired. And so he showed up at a church barbecue, a church barbecue, y'all. He goes to the end of the line. He squirts the hand sanitizer on his hand and he gets all sanitized. He picks up a plate, his forks, and his napkin, and he starts moving down the serving line. It's like, yeah, I see the chicken. It's about to be on. Right? <laughs> he gets to the chicken, and the chicken lady takes a piece of chicken and puts it on his plate and looks to the next person and prepares to put chicken on the next person's plate. He, Governor uh, uh, Hester was, Herder was real hungry, and so he said, Ma'am, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? And the chicken lady said, No, uh, it's only one piece of chicken per person. He said, Well, well, I'm hungry. I've been out all day, and I'm famished. I'm, I'm starving. She said, Sir, it's, it's one piece of chicken per customer. And, and now, normally, he was a humble guy. He, he really didn't puff his chest up. He didn't go around swinging his title to everybody and bragging on who he was, but he thought this was the moment to do that. <laughs> if I've never done it before, it's time to throw my weight around. He said, uh, <clears throat> ma'am, do you know who I am? I am the governor of Massachusetts. The lady looked at him and said, sir, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of chicken. I'm going to need you to keep it moving. Too often, we are like the lady in charge of chicken. We don't care who you are. We don't care what your title is. We don't care who you think you are, who, who, what, what, what position somebody gave you. We don't care. Why? Because we are in an era where we have very little respect for authority. But then Peter comes along and says, listen, Christians, I need y'all to understand something. I need believers to understand something. I need the elect exiles of God to understand that we do things a different way. So the first thing that he gives us is the command to submit. He gives us the command for submission. Look at what he says. He says in verse 13, be subject. Now, this is where y'all going to get real quiet. The, that word, be subject, is in the Greek, hupotasso. It means to submit yourself. In non-military use, it means a voluntary attitude of giving in or cooperating. But it's really a military term that means uh, to arrange uh, troops or divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. I told y'all I went to uh, basic training for the U.S. Air Force, and every morning you would be uh, awakened by... It was longer than that. By the time Reveille, that was called Reveille, by the time it finished, you had to have jumped out of bed, put your boots on, put your BDUs on. In my case, I also had to grab the uh, pennant because I was the guide on barrier, barrier and get downstairs and get in formation. 
And when we got in formation, the drill sergeant would step up and say, flight, 10, huh. And we would stand at attention, waiting on his commands. What we had done was voluntarily submit ourselves to the command of one who outranked us. And so what Peter is saying here is, listen, there are some authorities in the world. And as a Christian, the expectation is that you will stand at attention and submit yourselves voluntarily to authority. Yeah, catch that voluntarily part. He says, humbly submit yourselves. Now, uh, MacArthur says this is a very distinctly Christian attitude. Because in ancient times, to, to, to the idea that you were submissive or the idea that you would humble yourself was really something that you ascribed to somebody who was weak or cowardly. It wasn't a show of strength. Submission wasn't something you did if you wanted to walk around like you was the man. Who is the man that gave us? Right? If you were a tough guy, if you were a big guy on the block, you got that one, didn't you? You would never even suggest that you would be humble or submissive. And it's like that in our time today. Fellas, I dare you to go in a room full of sisters who are married. And walk in and say, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, it's clearly a biblical concept. Very clearly. But watch how many women roll their eyes at you. Watch how many women say, oh, no, he did. Why? Because we have turned this, this biblical concept into something that God never intended it to be. That a woman submitting to her husband, I tell my wife this all the time because my wife catches a lot of flack because they say you need to stop submitting to that man. But you know what? It's because of her submission that when I view her, I view her as a woman of incredible strength. It takes some strength and some courage to submit. Why? Because everybody else in the world will say, uh-uh, I wouldn't do that. If it was me, I hey, I, I got my husband in check. If you got your husband in check, you need to check your husband. Amen. Moving right along. It's probably the last time I'll ever preach. The Bible, I'm running out of time. The Bible calls Christians to submit. And I got to work through this. Uh, who are we to submit to? It says every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Look, but, but, but you might ask the question, what if I don't align myself with that leader, with that authority on a political level? What if uh, they create policies that I don't agree with? What if they are incompetent? What if they are corrupt? What if they are unjust? And what if I just don't like them? Peter's got an answer for you. It's two words. Be subject. <laughs> he didn't say be subject if you like them. He didn't say be subject if you align yourself with them politically. He didn't say be subject with you with them to them if they are the best boss you ever had in your life. He says no. Be subject. 
Well, you're saying, well, well, that was a different time. Peter don't understand what we're going through right now. He, he didn't have to deal with, with them taking prayer out of schools. He didn't have to deal with them uh, having to put up uh, with kids having more rights than adults. He didn't have to put up with laws that infringe on my religious freedoms. He didn't have to submit to pit- political leaders that uh, don't have the best interests of the people in mind. Well, that ain't really true. What makes this command so remarkable is that at the time of Peter, this guy named Nero was the emperor. Nero was a piece of work, y'all. One writer calls Nero one of the most despicable manifestations of human flesh ever to disgrace this planet. That's hardcore stuff. Nero murdered his way to the imperial throne, and his life was characterized by debauchery and violence, including causing his own mother to be killed. In AD 64, a terrible fire broke out in Rome, and it was strongly believed that Nero deliberately torched the city in order to justify building a more splendid one. This ultimately created a public relations problem for Nero. So he started a propaganda campaign blaming y'all, blaming Christians uh, who the Romans already were hostile toward for the crime. Tacitus, the Roman historian, tells us Nero falsely accused and punished Christians with the utmost cruelty. Besides just putting believers to death, he he made them objects of their amusement. They were clothed in the hides of beasts, and he had them torn to death by dogs. They were crucified. Others were set on fire to serve as illumination for the night. He literally made candles out of Christians. This emperor, who Peter would ultimately be put to death by, is in power when Peter says, Hey, you elect exiles. Be subject to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or governor. So my question was, in light of the one in authority, in light of the evil of the one in authority, why would he instruct us to be subject to them and to submit ourselves? Peter, what's your problem? You know how evil this guy is. And you're saying to me, submit myself. Well, verse 13 gives us the answer to that question. Verse 13 says, be subject. What are the next four words? For the Lord's sake. Here's what Peter's saying to us today, y'all. It's not about us. In verse 12 of 1 Peter uh, 2, he says, your good deeds result in God's glory. It's not about us. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus kind of says the same thing, right? He says, let your light so shine before men that people would see your good works. But check it out. They wouldn't give you no props. They glorify your father, which is in heaven. Why? Because it's not about us. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, listen, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. And y'all know who that is, right? Jesus. This life that we live 
is so that God is glorified, so that he might shine, so that he is exalted, so that he gets to praise, so that he gets to honor, that his name be made famous. Bethel, y'all know how we say it. It's all about him. Let's go one step further. He says, be subject to every human institution. Watch this. That word institution is catesis. It means the act of founding, establishing, or building, the act of creating. Now, here's the deal. Human catesis. Every time you see this word catesis, it actually refers to a work done by the hand of God. Hmm. Peter says, subject yourself to every human institution. But institution, catesis, is a work done by the hand of God. So it gets a little confusing, right? Because he's saying human institution. Well, I called John Grudem. No, I didn't really. (laughs) Grudem says, let me help you out with this. Every human institution is created and ordained by God. It's the work of God. So he says, be subject to every human institution, everything founded, established, or built, or created by the hand of God. Then he says, listen, for the Lord's sake. The, Lord, the word Lord here is curios. It means he to whom a person or thing belongs. It means master Lord, one who has control. The word sake here means because of or for this reason. So maybe we can look at it like this. Peter says, uh, be subject to everything founded, established, built, or created by the hand of God because of the one who has control. The reason why we submit is for the Lord's sake, because God is in control, because he runs it, right? But here's another reason why we should submit. We should submit because of the Lord's sovereignty. So we submit for the Lord's sake. And then we submit because of the Lord's sovereignty. When we submit ourselves to authority, we are really submitting to God because all authority is given by God according to his sovereign will. Let me say that again. When we submit ourselves to authority, we are really submitting to God because all authority is given by God according to his sovereign will. Okay, y'all got quiet, so that, normally that means y'all don't believe me. Romans 13.1. If you real fast on your phone, you can get there. Romans 13.1. It says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Paul and Peter, they, they filling each other on this, right? But look at what it says next. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. 
There is no authority unless God gives it. Oh, y'all, y'all still not there with me. You still not there with me. Proverbs 21 and 1. Maybe that you got to be real fast to get there. Proverbs 21 and 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water where? In the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Y'all, y'all still not there. Y'all still not there. Y'all, y'all still not there. I only got six minutes left. Y'all still, y'all still not there. Jesus acknowledges the fact, Jesus himself acknowledges the fact that human authority is given by God. John 19, 1 through 11. Pilate takes Jesus and he flogs him. The soldiers twist together a crown of thorns, and uh, I'm laughing at an inside joke right now. The, the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on a on his head and arrayed him, arrayed him in a purple robe. They came in saying, "Hail, King of the Jews!" And they strike him with their hands. Pilate goes out and he says to the people, "Look, I'm bringing him out to you that you might know that I find no guilt in him." So Jesus comes out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. If you skip down a little bit, he see he goes back into Pilate's headquarters again, and he, he says to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus, as the old mothers in the church used to say, never said a mumbling word. So Pilate looks at him and says, "Um, you're not going to talk to me? Do you know, listen, that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered to him and said this. I love Jesus, man. He said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. I I, I wonder if if Pilate was really being humbling or he was feeling himself right there. Do you know who I am? Jesus said, "Uh, yeah, I know. And the authority you have, the only reason you have it It's because it's given to you by God. God gives man authority to fulfill his purposes. Jesus lets Pilate know that the only reason he had any authority was because God had given it to him. Whatever authority Pilate had was given to him, listen, to fulfill the messianic purpose of God that made the crucifixion of Christ necessary. God gives man authority to fulfill his sovereign purposes. So we submit to this God-given authority, one, out of obedience to the word of God. Two, because we understand that God is sovereignly at work. And three, he gives this authority for a purpose. It says in verse uh, 14, it says, uh, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who who do good. Could you imagine what the world would be like if there were absolutely no authority whatsoever? There's a movie I'm scared to watch because it's kind of like that. It's called The Purge or something like that. Well, I mean, you just allowed to go do whatever you want to do. What was it, for 24 hours? We would be living like that 365 days a year. 
if it were not. Listen, I, I, I look at it like this. God gives us authority because he loves us. God gives us authority because give, gives authority because he cares for us. He, he gives authority so that this stuff doesn't go haywire and, and people just don't run roughshod all over the world. It says he, he gives it to punish those that do evil and to praise those who do good. And that's a good place to stop as I uh, come to a close. He says there is a, uh, he gives us the command for submission. He gives us the cause for submission, and then he gives us the consequence for submission. Well, what do I mean when I say consequence? Because normally when we hear the word consequence, we think of a bad thing, right? We think it's negative, but consequences are just the result of something. And so here is the result of you being obedient to authority, which if you're obedient to authority, you're obedient to who? Amen. We all walking with me through this thing. Amen. Amen. Look at what it says in uh, verse 15. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Look, the consequences, one of the results of, of submitting to authority is that God's will is ultimately accomplished. And there was a, a songwriter that said, I just want to do God's will. In fact, we're, we're uh, 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 encouraged to pr pray, right? Uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Ultimately, our lives should be driven by seeing the will of God come to pass. It should be something that we want. We should crave it. We should look for it. Let the kingdom come. Let your will, God, be done. Jesus even says, nevertheless, Amen. not my will, Amen. but yours Amen. be done. It, it accomplishes the, the will of God. And then I, I know y'all going to like this because I like it too. The other result is the enemy is silence. Yes, yes, now, y'all go with me on this. Now, understand, before we get too happy, <laughs> it's because you are submitting to authority. All right? So, don't, don't lose the context. Right? All of this is framed in you're submitting to authority. All right? But here's what happens. The enemy is silenced. Not by your talk, not because you know all the big Christian words that end in Asian. Justification, sanctification, propitiation. There's a lot of Asians. <laughs> not by your, your talk, but by the fact that you are obedient to God as demonstrated by being obedient to authority. And, and look at what it means. It's, it means to muzzle. Now, the first thing I thought about was a muzzle on a dog. Then I did a little digging. And what I found out was uh, this muzzle was really a muzzle you put on the ox to stop it from feeding. So here's the deal, saints. When you are obedient to authority, the enemy has nothing to feed off of. We get in trouble because we do more of this than anything else. And we just get an enemy stuff. Oh, just go for it. But he says you will muzzle the enemy because of your obedience to authority. Some of y'all going to go to work a whole nother way Monday. It also means, somebody said, mm-mm. <laughs> I'm out of time. But it also means to put in check 
I, I love this because that means to shut it down. Right? And it doesn't mean, you know, some of us, I, I've heard us brag about, uh-uh, I put people in check. And you step to me like that, I put them in check. Uh, I just checked her. You see that? Uh, I just, oh, you just checked her, girl. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is talking about. Again, your obedience to God, as demonstrated by your obedience to uh, authority or your submission to authority, checks the critics. Not only does it accomplish God's will, not only does it silence the enemy, it, it makes you free to serve. I wish I could really get into this thing, but, but I'm out of time. It says you're free to serve. Look at verse uh, 16. It says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants. And all I can really say right here about that is, listen, because the Son of God has set us free. You're free to submit to authority because ultimately who you are serving of is not the king. Who you are serving of is not the president. Who you are serving of is not the mayor. Who you are serving of is not the governor. It's God. And then lastly... God's will is accomplished. The enemy is silenced. You are free to serve and you're free to value everyone, including the emperor. Dearly love other believers and fear the Lord. The consequence of submission. And I take my seat on this. But then the last thing Peter does is give us the case for submission. Now, I wasn't supposed to deal with this right here, but I couldn't stop right there because I kept reading and I saw something. Peter gives us a case study. Y'all know what a case study is. It's something, there's a principle that someone is trying to teach. There's a lesson that someone wants to, to, to get across to you. There's something somebody wants to know, so they give you an example of what they're talking about. Jump down to 1 Peter 21-24. Praise team, y'all can come on up. And I'll, I'll, I'll read this piece to you. First Peter 2, 21 through 24, remember this is the case for submission, says, For to you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. God, when Peter wants you to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, listen to what it says in verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Because the other thing about this word submission is that there is this idea of doing it for the sake of somebody else. And how many of you know that Jesus came and he did something for somebody else? How many of you are aware that, that he who knew no sin became sin for us? He bore our sins, not his, our sins on the cross. Because we had sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
and the wages of sin is death. But then there's this gift of God that is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, check this out. God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For us. For us. For you and I. And today there may be somebody in the room that you have yet to embrace the gospel. You have yet to come and surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're saying, you know what? Today is as good a day as any to do just that. As we stand together. Jesus died in your place. He died on your behalf. Peter says by his wounds, we have been healed.